Like the wise men, who knows the explanation of things, wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard, its hard appearance. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases, since a king's word is supreme. Who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter. Through, through a man's misery, though a man's mi misery weighs heavily upon him. Since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? No man has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the day of his death, and no one is discharged in time of war. So wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then, too, I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they, in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know it will go better with the God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on the earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve, and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not, not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The kids are invited to kids' church with Emily today. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be glad. 
Kohelet, the author, the writer of what we've been calling to, uh, of Ecclesiastes, returns to one of his, his themes today when he reaches sort of the end of, of logic, where you might go, perhaps now is the time in which we abandon all hope. And yet he always comes back to this sort of, you know, when you reach that point, what life becomes is these moments and when you can sit um, where you can enjoy a drink, where you can take in the fruit of your labor, and that that becomes the meaning that sustains in that moment. This is um, the second Sunday in our summers of going through the wisdom literature. Last summer, we did Proverbs, um, and Proverbs has this sort of very direct way of sort of talking about wisdom. Um, it has this way of sort of thinking that there's a way towards fruitful life and that we have access to it. I think, and we've tried to talk about how Proverbs is, is this true story about what creation should be. What Ecclesiastes is, as in the second summer, is this idea of what about when that fails? What about when that doesn't come about? And what about Ecclesiastes is the great equalizer here, and that whenever you say, see, it all added up, that it worked out for this person, um, Kohelet, what we've been calling the author, what the author of Ecclesiastes calls himself in chapter one and at two other instances. Kohelet um, says, yeah, but they all die. Um, now, that's, his, that's his, his, his fallback plan, is that death sounds for all of us. And so there is no ultimate security on this side. And he, he's closed his frame a little bit to the rest of everything. Now, what I think, um, it was a great time to be going through Ecclesiastes and putting together a children's playground, wondering, is this safe? Uh, it's all meaningless. It's vapor under the sun, this, that, and the other. We did as best as we could. We are not. Um, uh, but this week, um, I, we try not to talk about sports at Defiance Church, but this week, Vin Scully died, who announced for the Dodgers for... He announced when Jackie Robinson, uh, he announced when they were in Brooklyn. So he was there for a very, very long time. And so... Throw your pastor a bone for baseball this week. But I found uh, uh, this quote I've always thought about from him. He was calling the Cubs game once, and he was reading off the injury report, and he said, Andre Dawson has a bruised knee and is listed day to day. Aren't we all? Um, which I thought he captured the wisdom of Kohelet well there, is that, is that here's a player who's listed as day to day, and, and his wisdom in, in, in Vin Scully's way, he's able to say, yeah, in the end, aren't we all listed as day to day? None of us knows the end or the time or anything like that. Dark thoughts for watching a baseball game with Vin Scully, by the way. Um, so this brings us back to this, though, is next summer we have Job, which is this sort of different question, is what does faith mean in the midst of adversity? Uh, it has a different way of setting it. And the, the last one, um, when we went through the Torah, we, we prayed that Jesus would return before Leviticus. For wisdom, we pray Jesus returns before we get to the Song of Songs and the awkwardness that accompanies that. Um, I w I, there's an audio version, Jonathan's a fan of it, uh, where Denzel Washington reads it with his wife. And I played that for my youth group as we were going to go through it, and nobody came back for like three weeks. It was just too awkward. Um, so I'll make sure we have that for when we get to Song of Songs. Uh, Jonathan also, which I thought was interesting, proposed that Ecclesiastes, Emily, do you remember, is, is it a scorned lover, one who got dumped after writing Song of Songs, or one who is looking for love and has not found it, and so writes Ecclesiastes, but then is resolved in Song of Songs? It could go either way. It, yeah. 
is that he uh, sees the world in its dysfunction. Uh, so the two vocab words we've sort of been using as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes is Kohelet. Uh, that's that name in 117. Uh, I, Kohelet, are going to proclaim these things to. It's translated the congregant, the teacher, um, all these different ways. But, but part of doing that is acknowledging, like in today's section, their tradition assigns Ecclesiastes to Solomon. And then within Ecclesiastes, there are things that don't seem like Solomon would say them. For instance, in today's passage, where he talks about the king, not in reference to himself, it's, it's somebody else. And so it seems like Israelite tradition voices wisdom through the voice of Solomon for good reason. Um, but we're calling him Kohelet, so, and if you believe it's Solomon, I say go for it. But, but we'll call him what the Hebrew word calls him, which would also be the um, Hebrew title of the book, uh, Kohelet. Um, so Kohelet is the speaker of Ecclesiastes. If I say Kohelet, that's um, who I'm referring to. And the next vocab word, which shows up quite a bit in this passage, he pretty much has like a paragraph of thought, and then he says, yes, but it's all meaningless. It's all smoke. It's all vapor. This brings us to the Defiance Church smoke machine that we've been using. Um, uh, which is, I can't believe people still laugh at that. I feel bad when I say that, but it's just so out of sorts for us that it's like, yeah, we, it, that's true. It needs a sticker is what it needs for the, to be the true Defiance Church smoke machine. But anyways, it's, it's my attempt at using an image to, to grasp this teaching, which is that, that Kohelet often sees life as something that can almost be grasped, meaning that is somewhat visible, that, that God has placed, he says it early, or is, is God has placed eternity in our hearts. And so we're always kind of trying to reach out and get this and make sense of it. But in Kohelet's mind, the teacher's mind, is that that's ultimately frustrating for us because we can't grasp it. And, and that, that's the tension. Is, this is the eighth sermon. We have four left. Um, or three left, maybe a kind of wrong. And David's doing the capstone sermon, which I promise will be happy. None of the other ones were happy, but David's going to sum it up happy for us. Um, but uh, four sermons left. Um, and that's one of the themes he's always coming back to is that we keep trying to make sense of life. And so often, we just can't get the full picture. Kohelet, I think for the most part, and certainly within the frame narrator at the beginning and the end of the book, believes that there is an ultimate picture to life, that God has set everything right for its time. We, being limited in that we are, can't grasp that. Um, and so uh, this word, which we've, we've used... Um, the quotidian, to, to embrace the ordinary, his, his solution to this. Quit trying to set your mind towards sort of figuring everything else out, but embrace life in the ordinary. And he means that in a good way. I've been trying to come up with images to sort of capture what the role of Kohelet, uh, the role of Ecclesiastes is in the canon, in, in the scriptures. And the reason is because it, it sings like counter-testimony to us. Like so much of scripture says that this is... Um, the way that the world works, and what Ecclesiastes says, not so fast, my friends. Um, aren't we all listed day to day? Um, that we have this way, and so we've used music. We use several other things. This one uh, came to me today, actually, funny enough. I wish I'd thought of it sooner, which is um, it's a, a photo negative. And so the bottom you have sort of the picture of the way that the world is. 
It's just a picture of how things are. What Ecclesiastes represents is sort of a photonegative of the picture in the world as it is. It sort of takes it and inverses it. It's a, it's a negative aspect of it. But, but what's interesting about that is it's the same scene. And as I've struggled through Ecclesiastes for the past eight weeks and four left, I'm starting to come around to that maybe that's, that's his point, is that this is the same scene. It's just inversed. And so we have things um, uh, like Proverbs, you know, do walk this path because you, might, you will die and things at least will be good for you in life. Um, Kohelet's, the Ecclesiastes answer is walk this path because you will die. Um, he sort of takes, you know, listen to your parents, which is kind of the way Proverbs is summarized in its advice, his parental advice to a young one, so that you may have flourishing. Um, Kohelet takes that and says, don't listen to your parents because you'll die, but that's, that's where fruitfulness is. He sort of inverses these things. He has this way of taking what's true and then making a negative image of it. One of the things we've tried to do when we talk about wisdom literature, I know a lot of this is review, is talk about the way in which when we read scripture, we can read it as one plot and one story, but it negates that there are sort of three acts going on with God, that God creates, God redeems, and God consummates us, and that these three stories are constantly being intertwined in scripture. What Kohelet really only focuses on is God creates. God has made this world. God has placed within us this idea that we should understand it. And without redemption, that God brings meaning to it through conquering death or covenant and bringing people out of Egypt, and without consummation, that in the end, the fullness of all, that might be a faint line for him. In the end, this might all make sense, but for him it's like, it might. <laughs> it might all make sense. Consummation's a thin line for him. But, but what happens if you were to take two of the lines out is you get a distorted picture of what's going on. And I think that's a little bit of what we see is that Kohelet never refers to the saving acts of God in his scripture. He never refers to how God will bring about the consummation of the world in his book. So it ends up with that distortion, but it's also a, a critical realization for us to say, if we looked at material as it has been, without all the other information, how do our own distortions arise within it? How do we distort as we pull out certain threads and major in them? If, if, you, if you just took consummation as your whole goal as a Christian, you would begin to see that most of the ordinary is meaningless and that you're really hoping for that end and fruitful day. You wouldn't see the blessing imbued in the day-to-day -day life of creation, right? If you took redemption only as your primary stream, you would become focused sort of only on the redemptive narrative of what God does, but miss how God has imbued goodness in creation, but also, I think, and we see this perhaps more in the church today, if you focus on just the redemptive, you begin to think it's your job to make sure it works out which is an odd way of taking that stream to say that we need to make sure this comes out because you, you missed that consummation line that God is the one who sorts it all out. And that gap names a mystery. Um, and so that's a bit of the bind uh, that we're in in Ecclesiastes, um, hearing this thing. The last thing I wanted to say is that I think captures that this first teaching that we have for us today is that 
Kohelet has this way of, of proclaiming for us being a non-anxious presence in the world. It's a phrase we use here often at Defiance Church. What does it mean in a world racked with anxiety about politics, about meaning, about the economy, about inflation? Is your, is your blood pressure going up yet? Can I keep going uh, around gender, around... Uh, uh, who's going to start for the Broncos? David's very worried. Um, you know, all these things in this world racked with anxiety. Um, how is it the people of God, knowing all three streams of what God has done too, can go forth and be a non-anxious presence in the world? And this, wor- re- this word comes from uh, secular Jewish psychologist Edwin Friedman, but he would often do family systems therapy. He's one of the originators of family systems therapy, if you're familiar with that from the therapeutic concept. But what he found was, is that when he was working with a full family system, the person who could inflect change the most was the one who was not overly bounded, trying to work it all out. It was not the one who was disaffected and completely careless and leaving, but it was the one who managed to stay present, but to stay present without anxiety. The challenge, I think, for us to be a witness to the life and life that we have in Christ is to be that for the world, to be that which is not an anxious presence. And it's in this first teaching, um, who is wise, who knows the explanation of things, is, is captures this in this way, a person's Wisdom brightens their faith and face, and it changes their hard appearance. This is a bit of a weird teaching for Kohelet because he could mean it ironically, but he could mean it in, in the direct sense. Um, I should say, studying this chapter this week, it was like 50-50 on the, like, he's mainly just pulling your leg and all these things he undercuts, and then other people is like, he's being genuine. Um, but his genuineness, I think, is weird here because it's... Um, I think he sa- he's saying that who is like the wise, who next the explanation of all things, a person wisdom brightens their faith and it change face and it changes their heart appearance, is he's naming that there are people who don't know the explanation of all things. Kohelet is the one who's searching for the explanation of all things, and it makes his face hard. It's ultimately frustrating to him, and he keeps losing himself over trying to figure it all out. And so what he could be saying here is that who is wise, who knows the explanation of all things? It's the person who can relate in wisdom as a non-anxious presence to the world. It's not having the explanation for all things. What's torturing Kohelet is that he needs to have the explanation for all things. The person that he can't be, who he wants to be, when he, the Carpe Diem passage we talked about at the beginning, which is in this section too, about, you know, enjoy your drink, enjoy your meal, he often says that that's not there for him. God has not enabled it for him. He can't find that because he set himself to really dive in and explore all things. He, he thinks of himself as sort of the sacrificial wise one. I'm going through all this so that you guys can have this hard-won knowledge and know not to go through all this. But here he says, you know, what is it to be the wise one? It's to have wisdom brighten their faith and the face and to have it change their hard appearance. Brian in the worship set and 
um, Shelley, when she read the psalm, both of those talk about God's face being what turns towards us. One in the numbers blessing, and one is the psalm that is that is the face, the renewal of the face of God that people ask for often in the Old Testament. The face would come towards them. And one of the things that, that the face represents is presence. It's to be looking in the crowd and to see that familiar one. It's to have a face that represents to you something of renewal. To be in the face of God is to have that presence near to you. In the Hebrew, um, it's, it's that there's something renewing the face, face of this person. It melts away their hard appearance at the world, trying to figure and make everything work out. And so I think what Kohelet begins here for us is, is what does it mean to be that non-anxious presence? Now there's another way of interpreting this, like I said, there's, is that um, uh, this is wisdom from the inside, which Kohelet would not be a fan of. Um, it's, it's human wisdom that this person has. That would be the evidence for using this ironically to say. But what, I, what he says at the end, and we'll get there, is that the people who try to seek after this, like himself, um, can't sleep. Now, one of my few, Brian said, what else do we have? I only have one uh, joke and illustration. <laughs> and one of my few acronyms I've ever come up with when we first started talking about what does it mean to be a non-anxious presence is I save these images as I write them out. Um, and I save the image of that one under its abbreviation, N-A-P. Um, and then I was like, ah, <laughs> see, the, the non-anxious presence is a person who can take a nap in the face of the world. Anxiety is something that keeps us from rest and sleep. It makes us worry endlessly. It keeps us up at night. But to be a non-anxious presence is to say, this is where it is, and I'm going to go shut my eyes for 20 minutes, knowing that it's not I who sort this out, or my anxiety, or my concern, but God who ultimately sorts these things out. That was the end of the sermon. I just gave it away. Um, the next teaching in this section, and he says, Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. This is a weird section because it's mirroring what he says about the king as sort of as if it's about God. And his frustrations with kings, and this was hard for me because I sat and sat and sat with this section of it, and it becomes more apparent. I'm going to try and do it as short as I can. That, that what Kohelet says king and what it means to go into the presence of a king and to do these things is equally applicable to his idea of who God is. He thinks dealing with God is very dangerous business, just like dealing with a king. And so he is, is when he says these things about the wise way to interact with a king, it's kind of what he thinks would be the wise way to interact with God only following that one stream. So, so remember, it's counter-testimony or the negative image or whatever else you want to say. Um, I say because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Kohelet's view of injustice in the world is often that it's just going to happen. You can stay awake pondering it. You can stay awake trying to figure it out. And at one point, um, we talked about this. He I think he's saying that makes a lot out of what somebody else is suffering for you. 
like the moral you take away from oppression, and this is something I think I see more often than not, is it means something about you, not the oppressed person. So much the causes we adopt and ordain ourselves with and share on social media are actually more reflections of who we are than they are of anything dealing with the person going through oppression. That oppression becomes the mirror of who we are. But here he's saying, you know, bad cause or not, the king or God, and this is in Kohelet's frame, will do what he pleases. Since their word is supreme, who can say to them, what are you doing? Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time for all these things. Eternity is in our hearts. We are frustrated by that and cannot grasp it. So who are we to go to the one who is the author of all these things and tell them, what are you doing? Now Job gets to that point in a different way of saying, maybe we are someone. So uh, canon, the Bible is multifaceted on this front, but I think this is what Kohelet is saying, is that, is that it's going to happen regardless of what you say. Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. This is, this is the best that you can have, is you obey his command so that no harm will come to you, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure, for there's a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. See, this is mirroring the king in what God does in Ecclesiastes 3, too, is that there's a time and a place for each of these things, and it's for us to sort of live in those by enjoying our days, not by trying to figure it all out. Kohelet also thinks life projects might be a mistake on this, which is one of our favorite things to do. The next teaching, since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? is the limitlessness of this. One of the things that we haven't hit on what I was supposed to talk about today was um, we are creatures of God. And what Ecclesiastes is, is is a robust defense of what does it mean to be a creature of God in an angle that we don't often see it from. To be a creature is to say that we're created and cared for by someone and that there is... Um, uh, somebody who took time to make us and stuff like that. Um, for Kohelet being a creature is, is, is that we are dependent and that we are limited. That we are limited in what we know and what we can say and what we can do. And that's how he comes to what it means to be a creature. Since no one knows the future, since we are time-bound and limited in our way, who can tell someone else what is to come? To live into our creatureliness is one of the things that we often forget today. And it's technology, um, and technology in the larger sense, not in the literal phone or the TV or something like that, but the belief that most of us have that there is a technological solution to bringing about an advent to better days for us that causes us most often in the present to forget our creatureliness. The larger edifice, the, the, the demigod that becomes tech. Um, it shows up for me um, at least more, more readily in, the, in what I call the medical industrial complex, which is this idea is I'm healthy. When I get sick, I will get healed. And somehow magically, I'll just die really easily. That, that when, when medicine technology reaches its limits there, that death will be like a light switch on and off. 
we process ourselves in this way. We use so many tools that don't have, they're not like hammers where they have accurate uses, but have these more um, soul-turning uses to them, that we use so many of them. Our understanding of who we are as people begins to shift and change. We begin to think that we're, is it, that improving the human is as easy as downloading a new app to our operating system and adding that into our regular rhythms in life. And somehow through the proactivity or dieting or fitness or uh, positive outlook or mindfulness that comes out of that, somehow we'll be better people. Um, I promised David's going to end the sermon with a happy sermon. Uh, no one has the power to control the wind to contain it. No one has the power over the time of their death. As one is discharged in a time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. Here Kohelet comes again to that, that idea is that we really aren't in control, despite illusions to the contrary. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. This is one of his classic ideas, is that he's looking at creation as it's done under the sun. There's a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. Depending on how you splice the Hebrew here, you have sort of two options for looking at this teaching. One is that um, the wicked die and they have nice funerals. There's the pastor's joke about the guy in the mob. His brother dies, and he tells the priest, he says, look, you know, here's, here's a million dollars, and I won't harm you if you call my brother a saint. And so the priest gives the list of, do, have people not heard this joke? The priest gives the list of all the bad things the brother did, but he says, compared to, uh, compared to his brother, the one who paid him, he was a saint. Um, uh, so he called him a saint. Um, point being is that the, these people die um, and they're remembered either as great, that's the one way of reading it, is that they have nice funerals even though that they were wicked. The second way of translating it, and some of you might have this translation, is it's sort of like they're forgotten. That is frustrating to Kohelet too because they've done wrong, they've been wicked. The fact that they're dead doesn't mean we should forget that. That they went to church and came back out that they lived this hypocritical life, and that when they die, there is no real punishment for them, one that he can see under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Um, in the meantime, when we don't enact justice, more justice happens. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it'll go better with those who fear God who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. Two things here. One is Kohelet seems to be saying that there's something in fearing God that provides some protection, but it's not as good as we think it is. Um, he says that there is something, um, it will go better with those who fear God and who are reverent before him. But for the wicked, um, their days will not lengthen like a shadow, that he's somewhat going against of what he said earlier. Um, which brings us to what does it mean to fear God? Now, for the theme of these four summers, um, Chris made this nice banner for us, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The end of Ecclesiastes, it's fear God, keep his commandments. This teaching has many different forms. Um, but 
that it'll go well for people who fear God. Now, this is, this is my, my crude summary of uh, Pascal's wager, um, which came about from uh, Blaise Pascal. Um, it's, it's, it's funny, but not. Um, he, he sort of says, you know, let's take the no God side. Let's say, you say there's no God, and you're right when you die, there is no God. That's the top corner. Pascal is willing to say, great, you get plus 10. Life was meaningless, and you knew it was meaningless. Congratulations. Um, let's say, Pascal believed in a, a literal hell. Um, let's say you say there is no God, and there is no God in Jesus Christ. He was definitively talking about Christianity. Uh, that's the infinity sign, right? Yeah, negative infinity was his sort of summary. So, like, if you're looking at this logically, because he was trying to prove, like, maybe having faith is logical. Was it's a, Again, there's a very crude summary of Pascal's wager, but, like, so you... You were right, plus 10. You were wrong, negative infinity. Might want to rethink that one. On the other side, we'll go to God and revealed in Jesus Christ. If you're right, it's plus infinity. But what's interesting about Pascal's wager that people always forget is that he actually thought that if you lived reverently fearing God, in touch with reality through the ways that Christianity can be near you, you believe in the God revealed in Jesus Christ and there is no God. Your life might be better than if you were right in the end anyways. He thought the virtues and the gifts and the life enabled by that type of living, minus infinity, positive infinity. But I think for us, mainly faith often really resides in that there's goodness in this way of life. There's a way of being in touch with reality and what God has done that brings us more in touch with what it means to be creature independent. Top one, you're still a creature. You just have no, or a creature of, yeah, of a void. Um, but to have some sort of narrative he thought was a better way to go through life than without. One of the the ghosts lingering over many of these sermons has been Diedrich Bonhoeffer. This is how he signed in to somebody's welcome book in Germany. It actually has the date, May 1942, he signed in, and he signed it with Ecclesiastes 7.5. <laughs> Only person ever, I'm sure, ever to sign in to, like, next time I go to, like, a wedding, I'm going to sign with Matt Shedd and Ecclesiastes 7.5, which is, in this meaning life of mine, I've seen both of these, the righteous perishing and the righteousness, and the wickest living long in their wickedness. Bonhoeffer exists through Nazi Germany. One of the things that I've been alluding to in our, our question time after the service is that if the book of Ecclesiastes comes out of exile, it means that everything that they've tried, temple, sacrifice, um, nation, king, this, that, and the other, has failed them. And so it brings up the question of what then is the point of faith? Is God a liar? Are we liars? Why has this all fallen apart? For Bonhoeffer to have been raised in Germany, and, and it's hard for us to grasp this. We have some of it in America, but, but it, and it's different in Germany today. But at this time, to be a good Lutheran Christian was to be a good German citizen. No disconnect between the two. One of the things that caused his greatest agony while he was deciding to uh, 
be a part of the plot to assassinate Hitler, it's hard to say what his actual role was, was this idea of he was, def he was leaving his country, when, which meant in a lot of ways, the way the lines were twisted at that time, leaving your religion. That religion had said for so long. So uh, my argument is, is by why Bonhoeffer, I think, is, comes up again. It, not only did he think about Ecclesiastes a lot in his life, and in prison he writes about it, is that he's seen the failure of the script. Germany was great and good and shiny and bright. And now it's turned to something where all the things that he thought would protect them have failed. So this brings us to this quote from him. Uh, this is from prison. I discovered, this is I believe the one on the back of the bulletin. I discovered later, and I'm still discovering right up to this moment, that it is only by living completely in this world that one learns to have faith. By this worldliness, I mean living unreservedly in life's duties, problems, successes, and failures. In doing so, we throw ourselves completely into the arms of God, taking not seriously our own sufferings, but those of God and the world. That, I think, is faith. What he comes to at the end, as he's sitting in a Nazi prison camp, is that to throw yourself and to take seriously the sufferings of God in the world is where this is going to come from. This is one other teaching from him that I always love to come back to. This is when he's preaching before he goes. But the kingdom of God is not to be found in some other world beyond, but in the midst of this world. It's not to be found in some other world, but in the midst of this world. Our obedience is demanded in terms of its contradictory appearance. And then through our obedience, the miracle is allowed to flash up again and again from the perfect, blessed new world of the final promise. God wants us to honor God on earth. God wants us to honor God and our fellow man and woman and nowhere else. God sinks the kingdom down into the cursed ground. Let us open our eyes, become sober, and obey him here. God's kingdom comes out of this cursed ground. And it's for us to live that in this world where the frustrations abound. There's something else meaningless. I'll go back to Kohelet, always with the happy news. There occurs on earth the righteous who gets what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. There's a, I forget who said it, but why do um, good, uh, bad things happen to good people is, is, is a serious question. Um, but for Kohelet, there's another one, which is why do um, good things happen to bad people? That's the real mystery to him. Uh, why do good things happen to those who do bad? Um, that raises a different question. This too, he says, is meaningless. So what does he commend for us? The enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun to eat and to drink and be glad than joy will accompany them in the toil of their days of the life God has given them under the sun. To pray and to be in this spot to take joy in the moment in the life under the sun, to embrace what is here. This is what he commends to us, not to try to make it all equal or to live it all out. Which brings us to the final teaching. When I applied my mind to the wisdom and observed the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun despite all their efforts to search it out. No one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim to know it, they cannot really comprehend it. 
This goes back to that first verse, that the wise person is one whose face is enlightened and whose hardness melts away. But he says, and the Hebrew is a little bit different than the NIV, is that he, as he has gone about this task, is one able to get sleep. That he has worried himself up in trying to make sense of everything. And in that way, he's not able to be the non-anxious presence that the world needs. He brings up our anxiety rather than lowers it down. But if we can move into what he commends to us, to find joy in those small cracks, perhaps we can be those people as well. As we've closed every book, every week, with the, the final frame that the Father sort of offers at the end of Ecclesiastes, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered it out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. These words are like goads, they're collected, saying like firmly embedded nails, given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. The making of many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God, the author-creator, in the end, will bring every deed into judgment, including everything, whether it is evil or good. Let us pray. God, you have again brought us to the words of your servant, Kohelet. We are to hear these words as goads and firmly embedded nails. But it is through this pain we are awakened to reality. We can see what it means to be creatures, to be dependent. That we can see how our attempts to make sense and to make everything fine rack us with anxiety and torture us from the inside. And so too it is for here from Kohelet, what he commends to us, that we can find enjoyment in life. Because there is nothing better for us under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. For there your joy will accompany us in the toil of our days and the life you have given us under the sun. We ask that you be near to us now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.